It's great to be gathered together to worship our God. And welcome if you're joining us online. I heard a story a little while ago, a story you might have heard before. The story is about a congregation of ducks who go to church. I can see some of the children wondering, what on earth is he going to say? So these ducks, they waddle to church. They come and hear the duck preacher. And the duck preacher reminds them about how as ducks, they can fly, they can soar, they've got wings. And then the ducks get up, thank the preacher for the sermon, and waddle home again. We don't want to be like those ducks, do we? As we meet with God, we want want, want us to change. So let's join in worshipping God as we sing our first hymn, Fill Your Hearts with Joy and Gladness.
So those of you who were here last Sunday morning will remember how Mark told us about how the people had found God's word. And they weren't like the ducks. They found there was something in their God's word that they needed to do. And that meant that they had eight days living in tents, listening to what God had to say to them. Well, this, this week, we're in Nehemiah chapter 9. It's on page 404 of your church Bibles. And we've got to the end of that month. So listening to God had had quite an impact on the people. And what we're going to do is we're going to read how they responded to God. And we're going to do that in two parts. And I'm reading the first part now, which will go up to verse 15. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Katamiah, Shebaniah, Berni, Sheberiah, Bani, and Shaniah. And they cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Katamiah, Bani, Heshbonijah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Perithiah said. Now, as we look at the prayer, there are three things that's going to be really helpful for us to look out for. As they pray, what are they saying their God is like? What are they saying that God has done? And what are they saying that they and their ancestors have done? So this is how the prayer starts. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite and the Gigashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants, and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself, as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. 
and you cast their pursuers into the depth as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made that known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and a statute and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. So we're going to interrupt their prayer there, there now. And children, Mark's got a children's talk for you now. So if you'd like to come up the front. Good morning, good morning. What a lovely day. Right, got a bit of a question for you. This works. Ah, that screen's not working, but that one is. That's why I'm confused. Right, Uh, why might we use one of these? Right, what do we think? Why might we use one of these? Yeah, go on, Jess. For something you can't reach, so what sort of things might that be? Yeah. A what, sorry? To do painting, absolutely. So there you go, there's painting up there already, actually. So yes, you might go up there, and I'm not going to go any higher because I get in trouble with lots of people here. But yeah, you could do some painting, couldn't you? What what else might I want to reach if I'm going up this? Yeah. Shelves, especially if there's something tasty on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's quite good, but obviously it doesn't help. I mean, it gives a little bit of height, doesn't it? What about if you had something like this? You ready? Oh, here we go. What about if you have something like this? Ooh. There you go. Actually, let me do it the other way around. Right. Well, why is this better? Yeah. Yeah, to get something from the loft. That's why we use it. In, well, at least in my parents' house, that's why they use it, to get to loft. Because you can go up and you can stand on this and it's pretty solid. I wouldn't do that without someone holding you, though. But yeah, you can stand on this, you can go up into the loft. Absolutely. Any other things that you might do? What about if, um, if you had an even bigger ladder? I mean, this was the biggest I could fit in my car. But let's imagine you had like a really big ladder. What sort of stuff? Yep. Clean the gutters. Absolutely, yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Replace a tile. Yeah, all things on the roof. Yeah. Yeah, firefighter. I'm going to do that afterwards. Firefighters. <laughs> Pressure of being up the front. Right. So here's some other things. So if you want to climb on top of something, you want to get on a roof of something, you could climb up a ladder. Or if you're going up a mountain or a tricky bit like that, you could climb up a ladder. What else is there? Yeah, so a firefighter, they use big, long ladders, don't they, sometimes? So they might climb all the way up there. And they might rescue people. Uh, what's this one? What's, yeah? To get up 
Yeah, it is to get up and down. Why might people use this ladder? Yeah. Yeah, and why might they want to do that? To get to the house, but would they use it all the time? Yeah. Yeah. So this is like a fire ladder. So if there's a fire, they can get up and down and escape. So ladders are really good, aren't they? And maybe, let's imagine, a horrible thing, imagine you got stuck in a well. In fact, I read this week of someone who did get stuck in a well in their garden. They were doing a bit of digging and fell into the well. But imagine you you found yourself at the bottom of a well. Well, if someone was able to give you down a long ladder, you'd be able to climb out, wouldn't you? Be able to rescue you. So ladders are really good. And we use ladders in all sorts of circumstances. But there's one thing, well, there's many things, but there's certainly one thing I can think of that ladders can't do. And that's they can't get us to heaven. They can get us up pretty high, especially if you've got a really long one. But they can't get us to heaven. Now, we've built in the world some pretty big buildings. We haven't, but other people have. Does anyone know where this building is? Jess answered loads of questions. Yeah. It's not London. No, it looks a little bit like some of them, like like the Shard, doesn't it? It's not London. This is the tallest tower in the world. It's called the Burj Khalifa. Yeah. Not New York. It's in a place called Dubai. Dubai. And it is super, super, super tall. Those other buildings around it, they look a bit small, don't they? They're really tall too, so you can imagine how tall that one is. But even that cannot help us get to heaven. If we're going to get to heaven, we need a special ladder that God gives us. And I was thinking, what on earth is that? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. It's a true story. It happens in the Bible. Maybe some of you can think of what I'm going to talk about. It's about Jacob. And Jacob, he's on the run from his brother Esau, and he's running to his uncle. And his uncle lives a long, long way away, so he's traveling a lot. And it's, it's many, many miles. It's a really long way to go, and it starts getting dark. So he thinks... I'm going to have a sleep. I'm going to sleep here. And then in the morning, I'll get up and I'll carry on walking. So it says this, Jacob came to a place and spent the night there because the sun had set. So it was nighttime. He found a stone there and laid his head on it to go to sleep. So maybe he found a stone a bit like this and he used it as a pillow. Can you imagine that? Now, we had a sleepover down here on Friday night with YPs and there were lilos, it wasn't too bad, but none of us slept particularly well. But at least we didn't have a stone for a pillow. Imagine having a stone for a pillow. But anyway, Jacob, he gets to sleep somehow, and he has this special dream that God gives to him. And this is what happens. Jacob dreamed that there was a ladder resting on the earth and reaching into heaven. And he saw angels of God going up and coming down the ladder. So there's this big ladder, or like a bit, maybe a bit like a big staircase going all the way into heaven. And Jacob's amazed. And you know, God gives him some very special promises, the same ones that he gave to his granddad, Abraham. And Jacob goes away going, this is amazing. And he thinks this is awesome. But you know what it does? Is it shows that there is a way to heaven. And in the New Testament, there was someone who said, do you know what that ladder is? He said, that ladder is me. Who am I talking about? Yeah. God, sort of. Yeah, I am talking about God, but what's, what do we call him? Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jesus says, I am the ladder. I'm the way you get to heaven. I'm the only way you get to heaven. So, if you ever think, I'd love to go to heaven. I'd love to be with God. Then these things, well, they'll get you a bit higher, but they won't get you to heaven. But Jesus is like a ladder. 
that gets us to heaven. And I think that's pretty special. Thank you very much for listening. You've done really well. You can go back to your seats. Thank you. We're going to sing again. Um, When the music starts, let's uh, join in a, a song of confession as we talk to God and say that we haven't known him as we ought, nor learned everything about his wisdom, grace and power. So the music starts, let's stand and sing.
So as we come back to their prayer um, in Nehemiah chapter 9, let's uh, remember to keep on looking out for what they tell us about what God's like, what they tell us about what God's done, and what they confess about what they have done. So we're picking up the reading at verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Shion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. And you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven, and according to your great mercies, you gave them saviours who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commands, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. 
For many years you bore with them, and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not make an end of them, or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked ways. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves, and its rich yield goes to kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So John's going to be um, preaching to us from that passage in a bit. But before, let us come to the same God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you will help us to pray. Lord, draw our hearts from earth away. Oh Lord, help us only to hear your call. We want you to speak to our hearts so that we know that you are our saviour. But not just our saviour, but you're our God. You're everything to us. Oh Lord, we want you to live in us. Oh Lord, you know that so often our hearts go drifting off after so many other things. Oh Lord, we pray that you will forgive us for the times that we put up our idols, for the times that our passions and our desires are full of what we want. Oh Lord, sometimes those things that we want are good things that you've given us that we make too important. Oh Lord, we're we're sorry that we make idols out of those good things. But also sometimes, Lord, we confess that the things that we chase after are things that you have told us to run from. They're filling our selfish desires. They're leading to us treating people badly. We are abusing what you have given us. Oh Lord, we pray that you will forgive us 
and make us turn from them and back to you. Oh Lord, we are so glad that you give us so many good things. And if we are your child, we can be confident that you love us because if you gave your one and only son for us and you sent him from the joy of heaven to suffer and bleed and die for us. Oh Lord, we can be confident of your great love. And we pray that you will help us to focus on that, to to remember that. Oh Lord, we pray that when hard times come, and whether that's hard times in our minds, or hard times with our health, or hard times because of loneliness, or hard times because of disappointment, or hard times because of uncertainty. Lord, we ask that you will give us the faith to turn to you, to remember that you have given us everything we need, and we can be confident that you will supply everything that we really need. Oh Lord, we we thank you that you guard and look after your children just as much, in fact, more than we protect our eyes. You're that, you're that concerned for us. And we thank you that as we come to you, we don't come to one who is weak, one who slips up, one who misses things. Oh Lord, you know you are good and you are in control. So Lord, we ask that you will give us a really determined attitude, not just to say nice words, but to act. Oh Lord, we pray that our hunger for you will be mirrored in the way we listen to your voice. Last week we heard about those Chinese believers who valued your word, who memorised your word, who copied it out so they could share it. Oh Lord, we pray that we will be people who value your word. Oh Lord, we pray that we will spend time reading it. Real time listening to your voice. Real time hungering to know you more so that we know where we can find true satisfaction. So where we, we know where we can find true security. So we can get the strength to be of any use in this world. Oh Lord, you know what we're like. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll send your Holy Spirit into our lives. And we pray that you will help us to be doers of what we hear. And not just hearers who forget. Oh Lord, we we thank you that your word goes out. And Lord, we pray that as the children and young people have heard your word, as there are plans for camp and YP holidays, as there are opportunities to talk to you, talk about you in schools, oh Lord, we pray that you will take your word and use it. And Lord, as we look today at the prayer of the people, Lord, we pray that you will help John. We pray that you'll help him to 
powerfully and clearly explain your word to us. And Lord, we ask that it will transform how we think, how we live, and how we pray. Oh, Father, we ask that our communication with you will be more frequent, more deep, more real, more spontaneous. Oh, Lord, we we want to know you more. We want to know you in your power. We want to be good ambassadors for you. We want to show your life to this world. So help us, we pray. Amen. Well, before John comes to speak to us, we're going to sing another song, which is a prayer. As we sing it, let's ask ourselves, do we believe that our God can do this? We should do because of what we've read. But what do we want God to do? Restoring God's honour, what does that look like in the lives of you, the lives of the people you meet with. So that when music starts, let's stand and sing.
Well, I watched uh, last week's uh, service, last week's sermon on video catch-up this week, and I thought it was a very important message on a very important chapter. It was about listening to what God says about our reaction to God's word, our attitude to God's word. And you may remember we were asked to imagine that above our heads there was a a sort of a giveaway sort of circle and in it it had out of a hundred what a rating for our attitude to God's word. Which is a challenging thought that there was be that above all of our heads. And that thought comes into play this week as we carry on this morning in this book of Nehemiah. Are we eager to learn? Are we looking to benefit from the word of God? Is there a high rating above our heads reflecting our attitude to his word? Well, the people in Nehemiah's day certainly had a high rating as we look at these chapters And that sort of rolls on in over to the chapters that we're looking at this morning. We're in chapters 9 and 10 of this book of Nehemiah. And the question for us is this. What happens when people are deeply convicted by God's word? What happens when we are deeply convicted by God's word, when we understand it, when it comes to us with power and authority, what happens to us personally, what happens to groups, sometimes churches, nations, as they are convicted about the truth and the contents of God's word. And maybe that may be the the case for you now. You're actually starting at this point in life to feel a a fairly deep sense of inner conviction about the importance of the things that God says. You've had a bit of a jolt, really, in recent weeks or months. It's as if God's word has been a beam of light on your life and different aspects of it, and you're convicted. You know things aren't right as they should be. What follows on? Another way of putting it, what does repentance look like? Here you have a time of national repentance. What does it look like? Well, we have two things this morning. Uh, One in chapter 9 and one in chapter 10. And the first of these two things, in terms of their reaction as they're convicted by God's word, is confession. Confession, chapter 9. It's just a day or two after this festival of booths. Um, It was a time of some upset, but it was a time of joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, was one of the notes. And the people are all assembled uh, together again. But this is obviously going to be a bit different. The menu is nothing, because it's a time of fasting. The outfits, sackcloth, it's jolly uncomfortable. 
the hairdos. They had earth on their heads. What's that mean? Verse 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. Strange things to us and our culture. But in their culture, things which showed a deep inner sorrow which they wanted to demonstrate in these outward ways. The menu, the outfits, the hairdo, the focus, confession in verse 2 of chapter 9. They stood and confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. The programme, two three-hour slots, one of God's word being read and one of confession and worship. Verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord, their God. Most of us can't sustain serious interest for anything like that length of time, can we? But it was a mark of how genuinely moved this group of people were at the things that they had heard and were hearing. Now, we're unlikely to copy all of those different aspects. In fact, the New Testament doesn't copy all of those different aspects. But is there a a weightiness of God's word at work in our hearts as we hear it. We don't have lots of details about those times, about those six hours, but what we do have is quite a lot of detail about a a prayer, presumably a summary prayer of the sorts of things they were thinking and praying during that period. It's a tremendous prayer we've had read from verse 5 through to verse 37. It's a, it shows the great sweep of the Old Testament. If you, if you don't know an awful lot about the Old Testament, well, a closer look at this will actually summarise quite a lot of it for you. But it is also a very rich prayer in lots of different ways. It's one that I've found helpful over the years. Maybe you'll want to look through as a bit of a model, a leg up, a help to you in your prayers. It contains confession as we will see and focus on a bit. It's speaking openly to God about the things that haven't been right, which have been wrong and need to be said before God. It's more than confession. It says about what God is like and what God has done. As you read it, you have the they... That's the things that they and their ancestors have done wrong. They, they, they. But even more, you read you. What God is like and what God has done. So this confession is against the backcloth of who God is and what God has done. And we find that helpful in our own confession to God to be conscious of who he is and what he has done. Well, we can't pour over the, the detail of, of chapter 9 because we're covering two chapters. 
But I want you to just briefly see this combination of who God is, of what God has done, of what they have done. Let's take it this way. What God had done. And he'd done lots. And he'd done lots and lots. And he'd done great things. He'd seen things, promised things, done things. And you get it through so much of this wonderful prayer and this chapter. Thirteen times I counted you have this phrase, you gave, you gave, you gave. The generosity of God to this group of people, to this nation, the kindness of God to them. He'd made promises to them. He'd rescued them. He split the sea for them. He'd led them through difficult terrain. He taught them. He guided them by his spirit. He'd quenched their thirst. He'd kept them going. He'd clothed them in a miraculous way. I don't know how often you change your clothes, how often you buy a new outfit. Perhaps you're one of these people who gets in a whole new set every year. Maybe you're one of these people whose jumper's still 15 years old. Here they were led through the wilderness for 40 years and God preserved their clothing. He fed them, not from Morrison's, not from Waitrose, uh, not by Tesco's direct, but he fed them supernaturally with manna every day in their journey. He had been so kind to them. He had now given them a great country. He had given them children. He had given them lots of fruit and wine. They had filled themselves. He had been good to them. He had saved them from their enemies. And in the light of the kindness of God, they make confession of what they have done. The prayer is interspersed quite often with confession. Look at just some if you've got the Bible open. Verse 16. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. A stiff neck. It's language, uh, animal language. It's to do with ox. But you've seen it in others. Perhaps you've got a dog. You've taken a dog for a walk and the dog doesn't want to go somewhere. The dog wants to sniff a certain thing. And they just stiffen their neck and, and it's a job to pull them. And you see some people with big dogs and small people and they try and pull them and they can't pull them and they just have to wait until the dog changes his mind. And here there's a picture of people saying to God, I don't want to do it and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to dig my heels in, I'm going to stiffen my neck. We've re- they refuse to do what God said. Verse 26 Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them. They cast your law behind their back. You know, sometimes people give out leaflets advertising something and you might get given one in a precinct or something. And and if people are not interested, maybe they pick it up and they just throw it behind. Well, that's what you can do with that. Yeah, I'm not interested in that, thank you very much. And that's what they'd done with God's word. They'd said, oh yeah, that's what you can do with that. 
I'm not going to have that any part of my life. That's just going behind. This is how they felt they had acted to God. Verse 29, that's the, the last I'm going to refer to, but there are several others. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law that they acted presumptuously and they did not obey your commandments but sinned against your rules. They were presumptuous. They were too big for their own boots. They thought too much of themselves. They thought they knew better than God. And as they look back at the way in which they've been, this is if God's kindness highlights their wrong. His greatness, kindness, goodness, and their defiance. And you know, sometimes it can be, it can be like that. Sometimes being plainly confronted by things melts our heart, softens us. But other times it can be kindness. So imagine that you were, you were really, you were, you were really annoyed with someone. And you insulted them to, to their face. And you made fun of them in front of others to humiliate them. And you made a fair few digs behind their back. And a friend of yours sees it and he has a, or she has, have a word with you. Uh, maybe you take no notice. But then you find out that the person you insulted and spoke against and were annoyed with, you find out later that they were the person who anonymously gave you £200 towards your time of need last year. And then you just, you're softened in a way that you never were by the friend's comment as you think of the kindness of the individual who you were so nasty to. Sometimes like that with God. Says in the New Testament, the goodness of God leads to repentance. Verse 35, towards the end of the prayer, sums it up. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Do you find the goodness of God sometimes soften you in a way that maybe the straight words don't? He's given you a family perhaps and yet you've mistreated them. He's fed you so often with so much and you've barely been thankful. He's heard prayer for your health. And you, you've not lived for him at all with the energy it gives. It's given you a good brain. But you've, it's gone to your head and you've just used it to sort of be self-satisfied and arrogant. It's given you a fair bit of money. And you've just splashed the whole lot on yourself and your own selfish pursuits and interests. God's goodness can lead to confession and repentance. Somebody said that their history had been uh, glittered with the goodness of God. 
our lives are so often naturally glistened with the goodness of God. Our lives spiritually, if we're Christians, have been glittered with the goodness of God. And when we think of it, and when we think of how we've been, it should lead to repentance, confession. In their confession, there was something of what God was like. There's quite a lot of the start. I'd, I'd like to have gone there and spent time in verses 5 and 6. God eternal, the awesome God, the only God. I have to leave that to one side at the minute. But notice how the prayer of confession describes God's grace and mercy. Second half of verse 17. Oh, maybe you, if you know a bit of the Bible, and maybe if you're at home group, these have echoes, these words. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 27. And in their time of their suffering they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven and according to your great mercies you gave them saviours. Verse 31. As they move on to their current need which they're going to ask about. Nevertheless in your great mercies you did not make an end of them or forsake them for you are a gracious and merciful God. And that gives them hope in their confession as they remember the grace and mercy and love and kindness of God. Confession is not just about navel-gazing. It's not just looking about our faults and dwelling in them. It's not just being overwhelmed with our badness. It's coming with that in faith to a God who is gracious and merciful and loving. Coming to a God who sent his son into the world to die on the cross instead of sinners. I was speaking to somebody a um, month or two ago talking about what, what repentance is and wondering if they had repented and came to mind of the New Testament um, story Jesus told where the person who comes in repentance just puts it simply like this, God be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're looking to God in his mercy with your sin, asking him for forgiveness, even in a simple prayer like that, expressed with your heart, can you say that in a genuine way, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, that person went to his house, justified, forgiven. So, there's confession in response to God's word, in the light of God's kindness, 
aware of disobedience and calling on his grace. But then, um, in repentance, a true confession leads to something else. And this is the second, and we're going to be briefer on this one. It leads to commitment. The heart of repentance, true confession, is a desire to be different in going forward. So, two boys caught fighting in the playground, having a punch-up. They're taken by the teacher or their helper into the classroom. Uh, The teacher gets them to say sorry to one another. And they do say sorry to one another. And then they're just out of the classroom door and the punches start flying again. And you think that wasn't true confession, was it? An older Christian song, perhaps some of you have heard it, puts it like this. Repentance is to leave the sins we loved before and show that we in earnest grieve by doing so no more. If it's genuine, confession and repentance, it will lead to a strong desire to be different. I wonder if that's happening with you. Uh, Here, it happens in a startling way. We're in chapter 10 for this, but it really starts in the last verse of chapter 9. At the end of the prayer, he says this, or they say this, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing on the sealed documents. They, they, they put it in writing. They're, they're signing up to a new way forward. Perhaps you've sometimes added your name to a petition written one or more often now online ones and you're really saying yeah I'm committed to it and I'm prepared to put my name down under this or maybe you've signed a big sort of thank you card you think yeah I really want to communicate to this person my thanks and my name is going on there you're saying count me in it's a sign of definiteness isn't it we sometimes say to people, can you put that in writing? In other words, we're not really definite. I want your name at the bottom. I want to be able to go back to this and say, this is what the person said. And here, in chapter 10, you have key people sort of signing up, really, to going forward with devotion to God. They're signing a faithful promise or a, a covenant an undertaking, and uh, we didn't read uh, chapter 10, and uh, you, you might be relieved that you weren't the person to read chapter 10, because you have this long list of names. I counted 84 of them. Nehemiah leads from the front. There's some priests, there's some Levites, there's some chiefs of the people. And all these names are on the sort of faithful promise. This is the way forward and we're committing ourselves to it. And they want to commit themselves to God's word, verse 28. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the land to the law of God. 
Verse 29, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a, a curse, a penalty, an oath. That's how they wanted to put it. To walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. They, they really want this. This is the way forward for them. They are committed to living, God, living life in God's way, conscious of God's Word. They want things to go forward right. So they sign up. They want to live according to God's word. That's their heart. And as well as that sort of general idea, there are some specifics here. When we want to go forward, when we feel as though life needs to be different, we're sorry for the past. And as you think of that now, you, you probably think, yeah, and particularly there's these areas, this one and, and that one and that one that need to be different as I go forward. And they had specifics. It was their relationships that they wouldn't marry those who didn't love God, which is often a cause of backsliding in Christians or churches. They wanted to respect God's rest day and avoid tri- trading on the Sabbath. They wanted to give sacrificially to those in need and especially to the temple and its services and work, culminating in this wonderful phrase at the end of chapter 10, we will not neglect the house of our God. And these are specifics are important they're, they're slightly different in New Testament times. But we should be careful in our relationships if we're serious about God. Thoughtful about those we get really close to, and especially those that we might enter into some sort of marriage relationship. They need to be people that love God as we do. We need to be careful about God's rest day, the one in seven that he has given to us, not allowing work to dominate our lives, keeping one in seven free from unnecessary work as a special day for the Lord, keeping Sunday special. Uh, We we want to be generous and keen to prioritise the the worship of God and serving him, not to neglect the life of God of the church. So there were some specifics for them, there'll be some specifics for us, maybe some of those specifics. But the general point of it was being committed to living as God wants as they go forward. Now we live, don't we, largely in a commitment, commitment, I was going to say, A commitment phobe, is that the right way? Commitment phobe age, a fear of commitment, a a dislike of commitment. We don't like commitment even more in this age. We don't like signing up to things. We don't like tying ourselves down. We want spontaneity. We want to follow our feelings. But it's a dangerous thing to play that with God. True repentance leads to commitment. Is your concern about the things that have gone wrong, your sin, your failing, is it leading to a resolve to be different as you go forward? Does your prayer of confession include commitment? 
Lord, I have been a bad husband. Help me to go forward differently. Lord, I've been lying to my work colleagues. Help me to stop. Lord, alcohol has been governing my life and I'm sorry and I so want it to be different. Lord, I haven't worshipped you with any eagerness for a long time. Please help that to change. Lord, I've seen all of my money as for me. Help me to start to look outwards with it. Confession and commitment. How do you have a response like this? You know, the way the, the duck preacher is saying some things. How are we going to respond to what we hear? Is, it, is there going to be some confession and some commitment? We're going to think through these things. Um, one final twist to things, just to tail it off. They, they do resolve, don't they, with utmost seriousness, with very impressive seriousness, this covenant and what they sign up to. But they will show their failing in the future. We see these things when we get to chapter 13, that some of the very things that they specifically want to be different on, they fail on. By their own words, they bring, if you like, a heavy penalty on themselves because they use language of a, a curse to follow them if they failed. And then they will fail and do fail. We go forward, hopefully, with a, a genuine desire to be different. We will sadly fall at some of the hurdles in front. Our hope and confidence in it is not in our strength of our resolution. Uh, it's certainly not in our future perfection because it's not going to be there in our life. We, we will still miss the mark. We need a saviour who has carried the curse that we deserve. Galatians 3.13 tells us, Christ has borne that curse for us on the tree. We need a saviour whose perfect life of righteousness is made ours by faith as we believe in him. And 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 tells us just that. You can find in Jesus the cover, the removal of your failings. So I hope what we've looked at helps us to know how to respond to deep conviction with repentance which includes confession in the light of God's goodness and God's grace and genuine commitment. But I hope it also points us to Jesus who is the one we need and will continue to need to cover all our unrighteousness. We go away with something like, Lord, 
I confess my sin. I am committed to a better way forward, but I do need and I will need forgiveness that comes through your son, Jesus, and his sacrifice. Confession and commitment. Well, some of this is personal, thoughtful, I hope. Softening, maybe, in the cases for some. Let's just have a a little time for personal prayer before we sing our last song. Well, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus stirs up and energises our desire to serve God as we go forward. And that's reflected in our last song, which is, My heart is filled with thankfulness to him who bore my pain, who plumbed the depths of my disgrace and gave me life again, who crushed my curse of sinfulness and clothed me with his light and wrote his law of righteousness with power upon my heart. A gospel song to take us forward in a gospel way from this message.
Oh Lord, you are so great. Oh Lord, you are so immensely kind. Oh Lord, our hearts are so very rotten. Oh Lord, you are a God of tremendous grace in sending your Son into this world. We pray that in all these things we may have true confession with true commitment to go forward with you. We pray for forgiveness for our failing and help in our good intentions for your glory. Amen.